evening service. I'm going to talk about prayer. I'm going to talk about the things that we need to know about prayer. Uh, some of the things that we have talked about in prayer and about prayer. First of all, we talked about our need to pray. Amen. We talked about the understanding that we God isn't like prayer is optional. Prayer is something that every believer should do and is beneficial and it's going to build us up in our walk with Christ. Okay. We, we also realize that by faith, we get faith from the word, right? The Bible says in Hebrews that faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Okay. So we get faith from the word, but we do not build our faith by the word. We build our faith in prayer. He said, build yourself up in your most holy faith. Pray. Why? Because prayer is an action that is uh, applying my faith. You understand? I get faith from the reading of the word. I build or exercise my faith by the doing of the word. And doing is praying. Amen. Actually, we also discovered that prayer is more than just conversation with God. It's also how we understand we're following God. All those other nations in, in ancient Israel. Why in the world did they get mad? Because they built an Asherah pole. The Asherah pole meant nothing unless people went to what? Worship at the Asherah pole. Right? What do you do at the altar of Baal? You pray. What do you do at the Asherah pole? You pray. Why then is going there and praying to them a, a sin? Because you'll have no other gods before him. So who am I supposed to pray to? So prayer is an act of worship. When they went to the top of Mount Carmel, they, the prophets of Baal and the prophets of Asherah called out to their gods and they didn't answer. What does it mean they called out to their gods? They were praying. And then Elijah said a prayer. Or Elijah, yeah, Elijah. Elijah said a prayer, and fire fell from heaven, consumed the meat on the altar, consumed the altar, consumed the water on the altar, consumed the wood, consumed everything, right? And then he killed all the prophets. Just think, if we actually stoned false prophets nowadays, how fast prophets would disappear. <laughs> Amen? They'd be like, hold on, there's consequences for being wrong? <laughs> Amen? Come on. And then we also learn that we need to be constant in prayer. Amen? We need to learn how to be constantly praying. Jesus told a parable in, uh, actually, <laughs> the beginning of Luke 18 and 1, which we're going to be in Luke 18, just not in the first part of Luke 18. But at the very beginning of Luke 18 and 1, he says that he told them a parable to the effect that they ought to always pray and not lose heart. Now, James says he told them a prayer, uh, told them a parable to the effect that men ought to always pray and not faint. I like that translation just a little bit better because men ought to always pray and not faint means that uh, if I'm not praying, I'm fainting. Are you getting it? If I'm not praying, I'm fainting. That means I'm walking outside of what Jesus is telling me I should be doing, which is praying. In Titus, we're told to... Titus must be, might be Thessalonians. I think it might be Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians 5.17, pray without ceasing, right? 
pray without ceasing. We're to pray all the time. And that was uh, two weeks ago, or two, let's see, last Sunday night. And then Wednesday we talked about appealing to the king, meaning that we're not just coming before our Father in heaven, he, we're also coming before the great, I love this, I love this term that I found that Spurgeon said, we're coming before the great monarch of the universe, okay? We're, we're coming before the king of kings, so when we come, we can't come boastful, and we can't come like we're in charge, like it's about our stuff and our business, and, and God better just meet my wish list like he's a genie, and I'm going to rub the lamp, and he's going to give me what I want. Well, that ain't prayer. Amen? Matter of fact, I bet if God worked that way, we probably would have missed a lot of learning because we'd have went right by some stuff we actually had to walk through. Amen? We'd be like, no, Lord, I don't like this change. Right? Except God used that circumstance to conform me even more into the image of Christ. He used that circumstance even more to make me more and more like Christ. Amen? So tonight I want to talk about the humble or the attitude of humble prayer. Amen? I titled this The Attitude of of humble prayer. Now, if you go with me to Luke 18, verse 9, we're going to start here where Jesus is telling another parable. This is after he told the first parable about how men should pray always and not faint. Amen. So here we are, and Jesus begins his parable. He says, uh, now Luke records this and he says he also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and one a tax collector. The Pharisee standing by himself praying, prayed thus. God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector standing afar off would not even lift up his eyes to heaven. It's Man, this keeps this keeps cutting out on me. Go ahead and do that one. Sorry, this one keeps me uh, cutting out on me. I don't like that. I want you to get everything I'm saying here because this is important. Amen. He says, uh, "Let's let's start over." Uh, but the tax collector standing far off would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Let's pray. 
Father God, we ask that you would bless the reading of your word. We pray, Lord, that you would bless our eyes and our ears and our hearts. God, give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts that would receive this message today. Lord, we pray that you would minister to us through your word and through the preaching of your word. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Now, I want to read just a few notes on this. Uh, the first note that I wanted to read was from my study Bible here. Uh, Sproul's here says, if the preceding parable taught the necessity of persistence in prayer, this parable teaches that prayer is not automatically accepted to God. What's that mean? That means not everybody who prays gets listened to. Not everybody who gets who prays gets their prayer answered. Why? Because it matters my motivation in praying. It matters my attitude in praying. It matters how I'm approaching the king. Remember we talked about this yesterday. We talked about this in the other portions about praying. And it reminds me of, of a verse that we talked about in Matthew 6 where Jesus teaches on prayer. We're going to get to that in a minute. But not every prayer is even listened to because God sees the attitude of this Pharisee's heart. And sometimes Christians can get so self-righteous that we're puffed up and we're praying like we're this Pharisee. When we should be praying like the tax collector or sinner that we formerly were. Amen? I think we get brought out of our mess and then get comfortable in Christian living and forget the mess that we came out of. We forget where God delivered us from. We forget where God pulled us out of. We somehow we're still uh, we, we you know we know we came out of the muck. We know we came out of the mire, but we get so comfortable that we get self righteous and forget that our righteousness is not from ourselves. No matter how much better I am now than I was then, it was not by my own doing. It was by the hand of Almighty God that made me better. Amen? So we need to remember that in our praying. Sproul's goes on to say this. He said, the shocking outcome of this parable, a, a tax collector justified and a law-observant Pharisee left unforgiven is Jesus' sharp correctiveness to these who are confident in their own righteousness and it leads them to despise others whose keeping of the law falls short see that's exactly what I just said they forgot that their righteousness ain't even from their self anyway. Because even if they are the best law keeper, have they, have they kept it perfectly? No, because then they wouldn't have to sacrifice every year, right? I mean, the whole reason there's a sacrificial system is that nobody's going to be able to do this, okay? And that's why God implemented atonement in the sacrificial system. That's why God put atonement in the law because he knew he couldn't just give them the law. Otherwise, they're all damned. 
Amen? That's why Christians don't live by the law. Because if we did, we would all split hell wide open. Amen? The reality is he knew that none of us could keep the law. So he gave us the atonement in the law. That's why it's in there. So that they could atone for their sin and would not have to face God's wrath. Simple as that. Amen? That's the only reason you're saved. Because if it was all about the law, none of us would go to heaven. But because there was a sacrifice, we're all counted as righteous. Because he who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Amen? The realities that this uh, verse and, and these verses are betraying how this Pharisee is trusting in his own goodness when he goes to pray. Like somehow, now here's the mistake that I see, okay? And this is just me and it's not even part of my notes that I wrote down, okay? But this is the mistake that I'm seeing is this Pharisee thinks that his uh, not being like other men, being an extortioner or unjust or adulterer, or even like this tax collector, but he fasts twice a week. And he gives a tithe of all that he gets. He thinks those things because he's not like other men. And that he fasts twice a week and that he gives a tenth of all that he has. He thinks those things make him worthy to come to God. Make him worthy of God's grace and justice. But the reality is none of us deserve grace. None of us deserve mercy. Amen? Something that has completely eluded this Pharisee. Amen? Uh, another note is that, and this is just a kind of funny they went to the temple, and it appears that they're standing to pray. You know, there's all kinds of different ways to pray, okay? I hate the fact that everybody thinks you have to kneel at the altar up here to pray. You know, first of all, these altars are figurative because there's no altar now. <laughs> Amen. There's no altar to be sacrificed on our, uh, it's already been done. Jesus has already put the ultimate sacrifice on the altar. If we were to walk into the temple of God in heaven right now, this is what it would look like, you guys. I want every eye focused on me. I want every eye focused on me because we're going to go right past, if there was an altar in heaven, we're going to walk right past it and go right into the mercy seat. That's the reality. There ain't no altar no more. The only altar that you ought to be running to is the one that causes you to repent. When the Holy Spirit, and you hear the gospel, and the Holy Spirit convicts you, and you feel the calling of Holy God saying, you need salvation. And you say, yes, Lord. 
And that could be anywhere. You could be standing up, you could be laying down, you could be driving in a car, you could be riding in an airplane, you could be scuba diving 25 feet under the water. But the reality is that altar doesn't mean anything. Amen? So I can stand and pray, I can sit and pray, I can kneel and pray, I can do my work at, I can work and pray, I can eat and pray, I can sleep and hopefully wake up praying. Amen? Prayer ought to be that constant anyway. <clears throat> Next thing. I love that this Pharisee says, I fast twice a week. Sproul's apparently like this too. He said the only fasting prescribed in the law of Moses was on the day of atonement. You realize that was the only time that they were required to fast. Okay. So by the time from the law of Moses, when Moses said, this is when you're going to fast on the day of atonement, right? From that time till the time of Christ, they had already put in so many other regulations that were man-made that to be a devout Jew, you had to fast twice a week to be considered devout. Which is funny, okay? First of all, fasting twice a week so you can earn God's favor, okay? Look, the only time, the reality is fasting does absolutely nothing to gain you any more favor with God, okay? Fasting does not produce any more favor with God. What fasting does do is it puts your flesh in subjection. What fasting does do is it creates an attitude of sacrificing for Christ. Understand? So fasting is for you. It does nothing for your relationship with God. Amen? Now I know people go, man, I've been fasting for 10 days and I really feel closer to God. That's because you're purposefully and intentionally spending more time with God. It's no wonder you feel closer to God. Amen? It's, the, it's just like if Carmen doesn't see me all week, she's going to be like, where have you been? I don't even think you live here. Why, what, what are you doing here? I don't know you. And then other times, she's going to be like, man, somebody come get Kevin. Mike, come get Kevin. I've spent way too much time with him. You need to take him off my hands for a little while. Right? Now I'm telling you, it's because I've spent more time with her. Amen? And, and the reality is when you purposefully and intentionally spend more time praying, more time reading the word, more time witnessing, more time fasting and getting your body under subjection, beating your body like Paul said. That's what he's talking about. He's talking about making, his, making himself do things even when he doesn't feel like doing them. That's what he's talking about, okay? Because... It, there's no way to get yourself ready for a race by just running when you want to, is there, Mike? You used to run cross-country. Did you run just when you wanted to, or did you run when the coach told you to run? Hey, we're, we're every day. Every day. You have to purposefully and deliberately train yourself to do that, okay? And just like the post that I saw on Facebook yesterday, that... That Christian living is not going to happen accidentally. 
okay? It's just not. It has to be done purposely. It has to be done intentionally. Amen. And when you get done doing it, you're going to go, man, I feel closer to God. I feel like I know His Word more. That's because you read more. Okay? When you read more and you study more, only makes sense that you feel like you know more. Okay? Amen? Come on. Let's be real about our talk. Okay? This isn't, this isn't rocket science. and this isn't, it isn't the, God isn't trying to hide these, from, these things from you. They're laid out in plain English in His Word. Amen? That's why he gave it to us, so you can know. Amen? Not to hide it from you. But they were only required to fast at the Day of Atonement. And then he says, huh, I, give all, I give a tenth of all that I get. Did you know that not everybody was required to give a tenth? Do you even realize that not everyone was required to give a tenth? Farmers and cattle people were required to give a tenth. Not everybody was required to give a tenth. In the law, he specifically talks about the field and the herds. Right? That's all he's talking about, fields and herds. Okay? New Testament is different than the Old Testament. You guys can think that the tithe is really important all you want. But Jesus said you've got to give up everything. So when I hear people saying, I just want to pay my tithe, I, I hear greedy people because they're just saying, I want to keep 90%. When Jesus said give everything, <laughs> I'm not preaching, but I'm just playing. I'm just joking, everybody. Calm down. I did not mean it that way, Okay. <laughs> Jesus did say, give everything, right? So the tithe, even though the people go, you know, the tithe was before the law, Kevin. Yes, but, you know, in that case, Abraham chose to give the tithe. He, he brought it up. You know what I mean? Melchizedek, or whatever his name was, he didn't, he didn't bring it up. Abraham said, I will pay you, right? It wasn't a commandment of God. Abraham decided that. So actual law, uh, actual tithing in law was not, was brought in by the law. Okay, by the law of Moses. Alright? Now we're, you can, if you want to live under the tithe, you can. Okay? But Paul said, let each man give as he's purposed in his heart to give. So if you're going to give grudgingly your 10%, I'd rather just take five that you'd be happy to give me, okay? Because God loves a cheerful giver. Amen? And the reality is, even if you don't pay your tithe, you're not under a curse no more, okay? Let's be real. Jesus rescued me from the curse of the law, okay? So even if the law required a tithe, just because you don't pay your tithe does not mean you're going to walk in any kind of curse, okay? If you're a believer, you're under the grace of of Almighty God because of Christ, no matter what. Amen? Let's be real about the gospel, okay? Because people get all kinds of things twisted in here. And I don't, you know, I, I'm not asking you guys to sell all you have and bring it to the church, even though, you know, that would be so good. No. <laughs> Can you imagine people doing that nowadays? 
and we all lived in this one room? Because that's what they were doing, okay? When they sold their house and their land, they all lived together, okay? They had a commune right there in the middle of Jerusalem, okay? That's what they were doing. They all stayed in the same spot. And uh, I'm pretty sure there's some people going, I don't want to live with Kevin. Con I, I knew! I knew I was going to get one out of her. I knew I was getting one right out of her. Now, now, we don't have to give everything in the New Testament. Obviously, we give as the Lord has purposed in our heart, like Paul said. Amen? We're not, we are not technically held under a tithe. Now, if people want to give their tithe and honor God with the tithe, that's fine. But you need to do it with the understanding, I'm just giving this because I want to, not to get anything from God. Amen? Because whether you pay your tithe or not, Come on. You think, I'm, you think I'm joking, but there's preachers out there that would be like shocked that I'm telling you, you don't have to pay your tithe, okay? They'd be like falling out of their seat. What did he just say? You don't have to pay the tithe? Why would he tell people at his church that? Because I'm not in it for the money. I don't care. I'm telling you the truth. The reality is you are not held to the tithe, period. You don't have to do that. That's part of the law. Okay, the reality is even if you don't pay your tithe, you're not going to walk in some kind of curse for it because that's done. Just like you're not under the curse for whatever sin you committed before you came to Christ. Amen. Come on. Y'all act like I'm preaching some new gospel. The reality is if you sin, you're guilty, Right? And if the tithe was part of the law and you didn't pay the tithe, you were guilty, right? And you'd have to pay the penalty for being guilty. That's not so anymore. That's the truth. In Christ, that is not so. Period. Okay? End of story. Now, I'm not trying to disqualify anybody from giving their tithe. We sure appreciate people that want to give 10%. Amen. Helps keep the lights on. Helps keep the building fun going, right? All those things that we need to do. Amen. But you're not held to that. That's a lie. Amen. Ah, last, before I get on to the, my, my actual four points, okay? I thought, I'd, I thought Sproles had some pretty neat topics here, okay? And that's why I wanted to read them to you. Now, this word justified. The Pharisee relies on his own merits, not having discovered that no human righteousness is sufficient before a God who demands perfection. See, that's the reality if we want to live by the law, is that God demands perfection if you want to live by the law. Amen? So, when somebody says, you got to pay your tithe, you look at them and say, I don't live under the law. Amen? I don't live under the law. You don't tell me i got to pay my tithe. I've got to give whatever I purpose in my heart to give. And I'm going to give willingly. And I'm going to give abundantly because I love God and I want to give back. I'm not going to do it out of some religious obligation to pay 10%. What if I want to pay 20%? Amen? Come on. Let's stop acting crazy about this stuff. I remember a time when, 
when we only had one job in our house, okay, and it was all we could do to give $5 at church, okay? Even now, I mean, I, I, ain't, I ain't over here, you know, raking in the money, okay? So even now, when we give, it's a sacrifice, amen? God is not interested in your money. He doesn't need your money. It doesn't mean anything to him. That money is worthless. It's, it's no different than the paper that, that this book is made out of to him. It doesn't matter. Amen? Money is a tool. That's all it is. Amen? The tithe was to get people to understand how to give, how to put God first, how to make sure God gets his portion. Amen? That's what you ought to take from the tithe. You ought to learn that it's about giving God his portion, putting God first. Amen? That's what the first fruits offering was all about. That's what the tithe was all about. It was giving God what was due his. Now, all of us in our life, most of the time, will only give what's required of us. But God wants more than just what's required of you. Okay? And that's what's changed in the New Testament. He doesn't want just the bare minimum. He wants all of you. Amen? So it is, when I say we're not held to the tithe, that's not lessening the law. I'm increasing it just like Paul did. He said, you got to give everything. Amen? Give everything. Give it your all. Amen? Not just the bare minimum. Okay, now to my points, okay? We had enough of Sproles. He's really smart and makes me look really stupid. So, I'm going to get to my points. And they're far less uh, intelligent and far less theologically uh, uh, brain-numbingly intelligent, Okay? My first point was this. <laughs> Prayer is reliance on God and not on myself. Amen? The one man went in selfishly, boastfully, and his prayers failed to merit God's grace. Why? Leads me to my second point. <laughs> because there were two men and two completely different attitudes about how to approach God and how to pray. The one man came in and when he prayed, this is how he prayed. And I'm going to put it in modern Kevin O'Connor English. Can I do that for a second? This is what it sounds like. This is what it sounds like, okay? Now, Mind you, a Pharisee is a servant of God, okay? A Pharisee is a scholar of the law. He serves God, okay? Now, I'm saying this because I'm a pastor and I serve God, right? That would be like me. Everybody in here pretty much knows me that I'm not perfect, you know? Far from it. My wife's over there, amen, again, okay? That'd be like me coming in here, Lord, I'm really glad that I'm not like all these other people around here. 
drinking and smoking and carousing and laying about with people. But Lord, you know I'm in church three days a week. You know I'm in my word all day long, every day, praying and studying. And you know, God, I'm in here trying to mine out all these nuggets of truth in your word, God. You know that I've become a student of your word. And I've been, I've been, you know, changed my life around, God. I turned it all around. I'm living for you, God. I'm sure glad I'm not like these other people. You hear all that? That's what I heard when I read this, okay? That's what I heard when I read this Pharisee's words. Okay, just listen. After you heard what I just said, I'm going to read this again, okay? He said, Thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like all these other men, extortioners, unjust adulterers, or even like that tax collector over there. I fast twice a week, and I give my tithe of all that I get. You hear the similarities? It's all about him. He's bringing his case before God. Why God ought to answer his prayer above this other guy's. But the reality is, this guy came in with the wrong attitude. First of all, he's coming before his father. Second of all, he's coming before the monarch of the entire universe. And it's God, okay? First of all, you're not God. You want me to prove it to you? Right now, speak a planet into existence. Do it. Okay, you're not God. We think we've covered that, right? You can't do it. It's beyond you, right? Because you're not God. So this guy's coming to God and like giving a resume why God ought to help him. On the other hand, the other man came and said this. First of all, the tax collector standing far off, which leads me to believe that the Pharisee was the guy that ran right up to the altar. You ever seen them people in church? Just run right up to the altar because they know it. Their need's more important than mine. Right? They don't even know what I'm going through. But their need's more important. That Pharisee was right up front. The tax collector was far off. And wouldn't even lift his eyes toward heaven. Because he was so ashamed of himself. This tax collector... Wouldn't even lift his eyes, but he beat his breast saying, Be merciful to me, a sinner. Notice that his words were a lot fewer, a lot more few. He had fewer words than the Pharisee. Have mercy on me, a sinner. And I think that ought to be the attitude of every Christian when they come to pray. Because nothing that has been done in my Christian life warrants me coming before God like I've somehow arrived and I somehow deserve His attention more than that guy did. Amen? Lastly, I notice number three, uh, 
that one relied on his good works and one relied on God's mercy. One was justified and the other was not. So this kind of ties back into last uh, Wednesday night when we talked about appealing to the king, our approach, how we come to God, our attitude in coming to God, and he reiterates this, uh, he, he reiterates the entire parable with the last sentence. He says, for, uh, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. But the one who humbles himself will be exalted. You know what this tells me? If I have any hope of my prayer even being heard, I better first be humble. I can come boldly before the throne of grace. I can come with confidence because I know Jesus has made a way for me to bypass the, bypass the altar and go straight to the mercy seat. But just because I go straight to the mercy seat, I can't just go in there and act like I'm in control because we understand that the mercy seat is also the throne of God. Where God rests, where he sits, where his presence abides on the mercy seat. And if that's true, I'm not just coming before uh, uh, my father, I'm not just coming before my loving father, but I'm coming before the great monarch of the universe, and I'm coming before the king of kings, the lord of lords, the god of all the universe, and I better come humbly. And my prayers better be humble. It better not be, hey, Kevin, this is Kevin, God. I'm, you know, you know me, your servant. I'm the greatest, you know, and I'm here to, you know, pull another favor from you, God, because you know I've earned it. It doesn't work that way. You don't earn favor with God so that later on I can I can get more favors from God because somehow I've earned it because of my good reputation. It doesn't work that way. I'm going to put this in perspective for you. And then I'm going to close. No matter how long you live your life for Christ, no, how, no matter how many people that you witness to, no matter how many people come to faith in Christ because of the messages that you preach, no matter how many people come to know Christ because of the life and the example you live, you will have no more access to, no more favor with God than the sinner who gets saved tomorrow. You don't just get all of a sudden get more of Jesus the longer you live with him. You know what I mean? More favor. Somehow, you know, I've known Jesus longer. Let me talk to him. It doesn't work that way. There ain't no, uh, there ain't no brother, you know, big brother club. It ain't like, you know, some, some, uh, what do they call that at work when you're, uh, when you're there longer. You know what I mean? Seniority. Yeah, there ain't no seniority in the, the pecking order of going to Christ in prayer. It ain't like, you know, I've been saved longer than Ruth, so God listens to me more. That, doesn't, that ain't right. That ain't, nowhere, in, nowhere is that taught in the Bible, is it? Here's what else ain't taught. I'm so great in Christ, and you're so terrible that God hears me more than he hears you. 
Nope. God hears the humble prayer. And his ear turns away from the prideful. And know what the psalm says? Just saying, we got to get back to the Bible and not all these ideas of God that sound good, but you can't find them in Scripture. I'm going to close with this. I remember one time, I love Carmen's grandmother a whole lot, but this one time we were, her Aunt Donna had passed away, and uh, her grandmother, we were sitting in the living room at her mom's house, and her grandmother said, the good die young, that's what the Bible says. I said, nope, that was a country song. <laughs> nope. That was a country song, but we do that a lot. We hear something, and we'll think it sounds good, and then we try to put that idea into the Bible, okay? But what we need to really do is say, okay, what does the Word of God actually say about this, amen? That's what we need to do about prayer. We don't need to just take everybody's word for prayer. That's why I'm not taking everybody's word for prayer. That's why we're reading these things are straight from Jesus' own mouth about prayer, okay? The Lord's Prayer, this prayer, when he, uh, when he prayed before the tomb of Lazarus, these are all the prayers that we've been talking about, right? And they're all straight from Jesus' mouth, amen? So we've got to understand. The first thing we understood was Jesus prayed, so uh, why do you think you should? <laughs> amen? That's my first question to everybody. If the Son of God, God in the flesh, had to develop a life of prayer, why do we think we shouldn't? Amen? Let's stand. We're going to pray. I preached long enough. I was waiting for another amen. I didn't get it. <laughs> preached long enough. But it's important to pray rightly. James said, you have not because you ask not. When you do ask, you ask amiss. Amen? Because you want to squander it on your own lust, your own passions. Amen? So there is a right way to pray and a wrong way to pray. Amen? And this is just another illustration of that fact. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you, Lord, for your grace. Lord, we thank you for your word that is useful, all of it, God. All scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, training, and correcting, God. We need it. And God, we ask tonight that you would use this scripture in Luke 18, 9 through 14, God, to teach us, to mold our ideas, God, about how we come to you in prayer, how we approach the great monarch of heaven, God. We ask that you would help us and endow within us a desire and a yearning to pray, God. Help us to go into our prayer closets, God. Help us to pray without ceasing. Help us to pray and not faint, Lord. Help us to pray but be humble as we come confidently, boldly before the throne of grace, God. And help us as we are humbled, God, to let Christ be exalted in our hearts. Christ to be exalted in our life and Christ to be exalted in our witness to this world. 
Lord, we ask that you would help us when we pray to pray for your will and your power, your kingdom to be done. Lord, I don't want to close tonight without praying for our dear friend, Ben Phillips, Lord. He is going through some severe uh, trouble with his stomach, God. He's going through some severe problems with, with uh, uh, what's going on in his stomach, God. We just ask that you would heal him, Lord. We pray that you would lift him up, encourage him. Lord, give the doctor's wisdom to know how to treat him. And I pray, God, for his swift recovery. Lord, we, we lift up my brother Kyle's family, Lord. He lost a family member, Lord, and we just ask that you would comfort that family. Pray, God, that you would, your peace that passes all understanding, God, would guard all of their hearts, all of their minds, Lord, until the coming of Christ. Lord, we lift up the other uh, family members in our church who need prayer, and we ask, God, that you would intervene in every one of these situations, God. That you would meet every need, that you would uh, meet uh, every person right where they're at, God. That you would heal them, make them whole, give them understanding, God. Give them encouragement, uplift their spirit. And most of all, God, we pray that you would be glorified in every one of these situations. That every heart, every mind, and every spirit, God, would turn towards you and to Christ. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. God bless you.